And please open up your Bibles to the Old Testament book of 1 Kings. We'll be reading from 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 16 through 44. This is the word of our Lord. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first. Since there are so many of you, call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response and no one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, and as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seahs of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. 
Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told the servants, and he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times, Elijah said, go back. The seventh time, the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Amen. My name's Matt, and I'm going to walk us through this text. Let's pray. Father, your word is a lamp. Your word is light. Your word is truth. In a world full of instability and insanity, we need stability and sanity. And your, your word gives us that as we listen. So open our ears that we might hear. Open our hearts that they would be soft to the things that you would have to say to us personally. Things that you have to say for us as a church family corporately. Lord, give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Carrie and I have a friend named Sandy. Sandy is in her mid-40s. She's since raised two kids. Uh, she grew up in poverty in New York uh, with abusive parents. In the middle of college, she was uh, quite an alcoholic Started in a school in Iowa. It got to her so bad she had to go back to New York and eventually was able to finish school there. Uh, she came back to Iowa for a feller. Uh, they began living together. Um, eventually they uh, were married. She had two kids, but unfortunately the second child was born with a small hole in her heart. At that time, too small to operate. And so the doctors said, we're just going to have to evaluate this every year. And if necessary, uh, probably in some time in her life, there will be open heart surgery. At that point, life just got very, very hard uh, for Sandy and her husband, and marriage was hard, life was hard. Uh, eventually, all of these trials, they sent her into a church really for the first time in her life. All the trials helped her fall into the arms of Jesus. The Bible was taught, Jesus was made real, and she prayed to God, and God saved her. One of the things that we love about Sandy is she has never stopped praying. She prays and prays and prays, and for some reason, God answers Sandy, Sandy's prayers. So when Carrie and I have an issue, we call Sandy, and we say, Sandy, would you pray? When her little daughter, Kate, was seven years of age, they went, she went in for her annual checkup on her heart, and they said, uh, lo and behold, the, the hole had grown, and odds are in a year's time there would be this surgery. 
And so Sandy prayed, we prayed, the whole church prayed. I was there when the elders came to uh, Kate's home the night before the doctor visit. We put oil on her and prayed for her. And then Kate went to the doctor and Sandy prayed. The doctor came and said the hole was now so small it was hardly noticeable. There would be no surgery. Twelve years later, no surgery. Simple prayers, surprising results. What, would you, what do you do with this story? Does it turn your heart toward a God who answers prayer? Does it make you question a preacher at the front telling another story about God answering a prayer? The Bible story in front of us is about prayer, but it's deeper than prayer. It's about hearts. In fact, it's about our hearts and um, God and then also his rivals. Right? Are our hearts, are we, do we have allegiance to the one true God, Yahweh, revealed in the scriptures? Are our hearts divided? Are our hearts torn? So I want to walk through this text, and I want us to observe things about prayer and hearts and the living God. The text began this morning, verse 16, when Obadiah, this is not the Obadiah of which a book is written later in the Bible, a different Obadiah. Uh, he goes to Ahab, and he tells him uh, about Elijah, and that Elijah, uh, Ahab, as king, he went out to Elijah, and when Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I've not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord. Those of you newer to the Bible, when you see Lord in your English Bible with capital letters, it's the name Yahweh, the revealed name of the one true God, the God of the people of Israel, Isaac, Abraham, etc., and says, you have abandoned the Lord's commands, and you followed after the Baals, or the Baals, which is a word that means masters or false gods. And at one time in ancient history, there was a uh, pagan god given the name Baal that, they, that uh, many bowed and worshipped. So, we have Ahab. In the end, we're going to have like, kind of this major contest. And the contest is at one level between Yahweh and Baal, and between Elijah, the servant of Yahweh. In fact, Elijah is a Hebrew word that means my God, which is El is God. So El Eli is my God, and the Jah is Yah. My God is Yahweh. My God is the one true God. So you have Yahweh, his servant Elijah, versus Baal and his servant Ahab. Ahab was a king of a northern coalition of tribes, ten tribes called Israel, uh, he reigned around 850 B.C. Elijah was a miracle worker and prophet, and uh, one of the most major miracles that had been occurring up to that point for three years is a drought. Elijah had told Ahab there would be no rain for three years. This is why Elijah is the troublemaker. You troubler of Israel, you have brought this droughts on the land. Now, it's interesting to note that Baal is the god of the storm and the rain, so if 
He's really the true God. Why is rain not falling? And But Elijah flips the script and says, Ahab, no, 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 you're the one who has brought trouble to Israel. It is you. Why? Because you and your family, your father, the wife that you've married, you have turned away from the one true God. And now they're under God's curse. They're under God's judgment. <laughs> Since the moment they began to follow false gods, God was against them. By the way, that is one of the major themes all throughout the scriptures. The moment we turn away from God, God is against us. But let me, let me inform you, that is good news. If you are against God, he's against you. That's good because he's also this good God, and what he's doing is he's drawing them back. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So in our pride, he's going to come against us to make us humble, which makes us wonderful recipients of grace. So God's against them because they're against God, but now in his kindness, God has schemed up a plan to draw the heart, their hearts back. Verses 19 through 21, Elijah, the prophet, speaks, Summon the people from all over Israel. Come and meet me on Mount Carmel, which is a name of a mountain, not its structure. I mean, I just love that. If every kid, like, Mount Carmel, it sounds like heaven. Right? Do we travel then to Mount Chocolate? No, it's just a name. It means beautiful. It's a Hebrew word. Mount Beautiful. It's a beautiful place. Elijah says, bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So this is, this is the setup. Uh, verse 20 goes on and says, so Ahab sent word throughout all Israel. He summoned, assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel, and Elijah went before the people. So this great crowd of Israelites, and he speaks, and he says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord, Yahweh, is God, follow him. But if, if, if it's Baal, it's God, follow him. I just want you to know, I just affirm that personally. If the Lord God is God, follow him. If there's something else, and you can prove it to me, I'll follow that God. If there is something that brings joy and life and salvation and peace and hope, Let's go there. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus really did not resurrect from the dead, Christians should be pitied among all people. If this is not true, then we are wasting our time here on Sunday morning. Let's sleep in. I assume kickoff is in a couple of hours. There's other things to do. And I think Elijah is saying, if God is God, if Yahweh is Yahweh, follow him. If there's something else, let's go. Go ahead. Go ahead. Now, it says there's 450 prophets of Baal, so the, and then there's 400 prophets of Asherah. Baal and Asherah are kind of like you know, the male and female consorts. They're connected to each other. Uh, what we have now is state-sponsored religion. The king is, is politically tied to these, these two false gods, and Jezebel, his queen, is, is feeding 400, and uh, Ahab is supporting 450. So you have 950 prophets supported by the king. And here you have Elijah, the moment he has the crowd, he's expressing his own disdain that the people have put up with so many false teachers, so many heresies, so many uh, 
just things upside down for the people of Israel who should know better. And Elijah says, <laughs> we, <laughs> he wants God to show up to change their hearts so that they would follow him. And then when, there's this line where he says, why do you waver? Uh, the word waver in Hebrew can also mean like limping or paralyzed. And he's like, why are you limping along with these false gods? Why are you putting your continued trust in 950 prophets of two false gods that haven't made a drop of water rain for three years? Why are you still wavering? My friend, he preached through uh, the book of Revelation years ago, and one of the things that he came up and there's this series of passages, chapter after chapter, verse after verse, where there's these, these series of judgments on the world, and a third of die this, and then a third die of that. And it, when he gets to the, my friend's a good preacher, he gets to the point, he goes, you know what the most amazing miracle is? And after like five or six of these major judgments, is that people still haven't repented at the end. Their hearts are still hard. God is proving himself and demonstrating his godness and yet people's hearts are still hard. In some ways, that's what Elijah is saying. Why are you still limping along with these gods that can't make rain fall? Why are you still in allegiance with gods that can do nothing? And so, it's time to have a contest. And so he sets up the context. The, the contest, he, he, he says, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> Uh, verse 23, you're going to get two bulls, one for you, one for me. Uh, we're going to cut these things into pieces. We're going to put it on wood, we're gonna, and, but we're not going to set fire to it. So we've got altars, wood, beasts, no fire. You call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, Yahweh, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, okay, this is good. Elijah said to the prophets, uh, you choose and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. So those of you who like football, Elijah is deferring to the second half. There's only one of me. There's a whole bunch of you. I win the coin toss. I get to defer. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. And so verse 26 says, so they took their bowl and they began to prepare it. And they call on the name of Baal. From morning till noon. And they're saying, Baal, answer us. And they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. Then says they danced around the altar they had made. Nothing happened. So at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Now I would just say as a point of application. We have to be sensitive when it's appropriate to taunt those who worship false gods. I don't think this is like you do this every time you, you run into someone who is uh, part of a different religion or part of it, you know, following it. This isn't like the go-to evangelistic strategy. That being said, there are times there are times when sometimes you have to say something that is so jolting because someone is so hard and so asleep. I would say you need to pray, though, that the Spirit leads you when to speak this way. 
Generally, it's the quiet, gracious, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is inside you, but do it with gentleness and respect. When the Lord calls you to taunting, I think you'll know. Most of the time, it'll be gentleness. But Elijah moves to taunting here. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. And so they shouted louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. One thing, if you are not a Christian today, I'll just want you to notice that if you study the other religions, they will always demand more of you. It'll start with a little. That's always one of the deceptions, I think, of false religions. It sounds easier than biblical Christianity, but then they always want more. Eventually, it wants your blood and your life, and then they want you to sacrifice things that are... It's, it's always dangerous. <laughs> Verse 29, midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time of the evening sacrifice. But there was no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. There was no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. Now we have a contrast. This is the second half. It's time for Elijah to receive the ball and see what he can do. Verse 30, then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. And they came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord. There had once been an altar on Mount Carmel dedicated to God. Elijah repairs it. Verse 31, then Elijah took 12 stones. Now, interestingly, at this time, Israel has been divided. It was a 12-tribe nation. It's split into two halves with 10 tribes here and two tribes here. But when he builds the altar, 12 stones for the 12 tribes because these are God's people. One for each of the tribes descended from Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come. Your name shall be Israel. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord Yahweh. And he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two sayas of seed. Now, at some point, they're going, why is he digging a trench? We didn't dig a trench. You dig a trench. He arranged the wood, and he cut the bowl into pieces, and he laid it on the wood. That's what they did. So he's done, the trench was bonus, but other than that, he's just done everything they've done. But then he says to them, fill four large jars with water. Pour it on the offering and on the wood. And then do it again, he said. And they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered. And they did it a third time. Verse 35. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. I appreciated when Pastor John Piper preached this sermon. He had a little line in his sermon that just struck me. John Piper said, God loves to be at a disadvantage just before he wins. God loves to be at a disadvantage just before he wins. Then what happened? At the time of the sacrifice, verse 36, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. Lord, the name Yahweh, the God of Abraham, 
Isaac, and Israel. Now, this is a God who is known. This is a God who has revealed himself to people in history, in time, in space. He says, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and have done all these things at your command. Verse 37. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know. So these people will know that you, Lord Yahweh, are God. And that you are turning their hearts back again. And then, boom. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. Notice the difference between Elijah and the prophets. They prayed for hours. He prays for seconds. He doesn't spill blood. He doesn't dance. He says a simple prayer to a mighty God and the stones are gone, and the soil is gone, and the water is gone, and the bowl is gone. He's dear. It's a prayer of just dear one true God. I ask as your servant to prove your godness so that people will quit worshiping false gods. That's what he's praying. Dear God, reveal your godness so that people will quit worshiping false gods. Boom. Boom. This is a sacrifice set up for the people on behalf of the people to win the hearts of the people, and God shows up. This is a sacrifice for the people on behalf of the people to win the hearts of the people, and God shows up. And just in case you think that we have only a God of fire, look what happens at the end of the chapter, verses 40 through 44. He says to this, Well, then Elijah commands them, First, seize these prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. And they seized them, and Elijah had them brought down into the Kishon Valley, and they, they are slaughtered there. Now, by the way, we don't live under a nation that's ruled by the one true God anymore, so we can't just slaughter false gods. That's from a different sermon, or false prophets. It's a different sort of structure. But they could do it then, and they did. Verse 41, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. Now, they're not hearing a thing. Right? This is Elijah, like, listen. They're like, I don't hear anything. Oh, it's coming. But look what he does. Ahab goes off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down on the ground, and he put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant, and he went up and looked. There's nothing there, the servant said. Seven, seven times Elijah said, go back. So think about this. So here's Elijah. He's in his knees, and he's begging God. He's praying to God. Elijah, the servant comes back. Nothing. Go back. Nothing. Go back. Nothing. Go back. There's, and then it says, the seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. And so Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. You think that little hand cloud is all that's coming? No, no, no. There's going to be so much rain 
that if Ahab doesn't get it moving, he ain't going nowhere. One of those Iowa torrential rains where you have to you know, pull off on the highway and just kind of sit there with the rest of the universe, wait for the rain to stop. That's what was coming. That's what came. Elijah prayed and God sent fire. Now Elijah prays and God sends rain. Who alone but the true God can answer prayer like this? Now, I would be remiss not to mention that very shortly after this incident, this epic battle on Mount Carmel, Elijah gets afraid and he runs away. He wavers in his own faith after one of, possibly one of the greatest demonstrations of God's presence ever. Elijah gets scared and he runs and God has to come to Elijah and kind of nurse him back to health speak words of life and hope to him again, literally drag him out of a cave and say, all right, Elijah, right? We've had mornings like that where the Lord almost has to, you know, come on, get out of bed. I'm God, you're not, things will be okay. Now, I tell you this about Elijah's failure for two reasons. First, to let us know that Elijah was just a normal human person serving a great God. So he has his own fears, he has his own doubts, Sometimes he had faith and sometimes he was consumed with worry. But just because Elijah was normal doesn't mean God couldn't take a simple request and provide surprising results. In fact, when you turn in the Bible into the New Testament, it's the normalness, the humanness of Elijah that is given to us as a pattern for prayer. James 5.16 says, Therefore you confess your sins to each other, pray Pray for each other, pray for each other, so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Elijah's humanness is our hope, because we pray to the same God. That's what James, this was the brother of Jesus, you're a human, Elijah was a human. He prayed to a big God, he got big results. Pray. Pray for people to be healed. Pray about confessing sins. The second reason I mention Elijah's eventual wavering is for us to realize Elijah was not the greatest prophet who ever lived. There's a prophet hundreds of years later who comes up in history. This prophet also faces death on a mountain. Enemies are present. Crowds are present. The odds are stacked against him. Some of you already know who I'm talking about. Jesus. But Jesus doesn't offer a bull for a sacrifice. He offers himself. This is the sacrifice for the people on behalf of the people to win the hearts of the people. Jesus is the sacrifice for the people on behalf of the people to win the hearts of the people. God's glory is on display with fire and rain in the life of Elijah, but God's glory is doubly on display when on the cross the judgment of God falls on Jesus like fire so that the grace and mercy and the cleansing of like waters can fall on us. 
Elijah, as mentioned, his Hebrew name means my God is Yah or Yahweh. Therefore, every time he introduced himself, he's telling the world, there is a one true God and I know him. Let me encourage you, those who profess Christian, profess as Christians, that's a moniker, it's a name, it's, a, it's an identification. I pray that when we say that, we are, what we are professing is, I believe in the one true God who has revealed himself as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and he alone can forgive. He alone deserves my allegiance and my praise. He alone can save me from myself. And so I encourage you, if you have not, you know, to reconsider or consider for the first time, who is this Jesus? If he is God, quit wavering. Quit limping along with these other gods. And don't make it a New Year's resolution. Make it a life resolution. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I do think, coming back to 1, Corinthians, 1 Kings 18, talk specifically to the Christians in this room. Um, I want us to really consider as a church first, members of this church in particular, but as a church, and then if you're a guest in your own heart and maybe your own church, is your life characterized by total allegiance to the Lord, demonstrated, I think, in our prayers, and in our prayer life, in our life of prayer? If people showed up in this church, would they say this is a house of prayer? If they showed up at your small group, would they say that's a, that's a house of prayer? prayer. They showed up in your home. Is this a house of prayer? I don't ask these questions to shame us, but to sober us, because I think like Israel, we waver and we limp. We miss prayer gatherings. We skip prayer at the end of small group. And so just to challenge us personally, challenge us as a church corporately, can we make 2019 a year of prayer? Believe that God takes simple prayers and provides surprising results. I want to give three ideas for us for 2019. Before I do, I want to have a couple of people come up, Mary Lou and Molly, to share a story about how simple prayer brings surprising results. So these two are going to come up and share a God story. Who's going first? Did you guys coordinate the clothing? Because you guys... <laughs> Got to. <laughs> Hold it up to your lips, please. Okay. Um, our story began a long time ago. Um, I had the privilege of working with Molly's mother for about, I don't know, 15 years, I think. And uh, during that time, um, I knew of their two little girls initially, and they eventually had a third little girl. Molly was their oldest, and she was probably in about third grade when I met her. And uh, so through the years, I 
heard stories of their family and, and uh, struggles as they grew and, and uh, things that happened. Um, so I'm going to hand off to Molly just to, to kind of talk about what was going on in her life, and then she'll hand it back to me at the point where, um, you know, I was, our small group was able to pray and, and what happened, the surprising results. But um, I had the privilege of being able to be a prayer at work and share that with um, the people that we worked with. Not everyone prayed, but we were able to pray for each other. And I think the Lord enabled kind of that environment um, that allowed some of this to happen. So I'm going to hand off to Molly. Um, well, I guess right around that time um, when everything started, I was homeless and I was drinking every day and I was on drugs. Um, and so I just kind of was getting in all kinds of trouble. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and over the years, um, Molly's mom had shared with me her, her heart for her daughter. They were not going to a Bible-believing church but while Molly was in high school, there were times where she reached out to friends who were churched. And I think that was a little scary for their family, and they had her pull back at that time. So when Molly got into this, this season of, of real struggle, uh, her mom confided in me a lot. And so I was obviously praying for their whole family and praying for Molly that... Um, the Lord would reach her again. And uh, at that time, that fall, it was the fall that we were in the process of moving into this facility. And one of the things Pastor Matt had asked was that in all of our small groups, would we each make a list of 10 people that we were going to pray for through this that next year? Uh, so that was September. Molly was at the top of my list. <laughs> and uh, then as a small group, we each shared at least that top person. And so as a group, we could pray specifically for that person. So Molly was really covered in prayer from September through about, well, forever, but um, through about November. And it was at that point where she was homeless and, and her mom was just so distraught. And they wanted, she'd seen Molly out on the street and she thought, how can I leave my daughter there? And she wanted her back home. And so Molly did come back home. But one of the things that I said to her mom at that time, I said, Molly has been on my heart for so long. And I said, our small group's been praying for her. And I said, you have shared with me in the past that Molly was always better when there was a God connection. And I said, we have this funky little church. We've been meeting in a theater and it's small and we've just bought this warehouse and we're going to be starting to have church there and next Saturday we're going to go over and we're going to scrub all these chairs and vacuum and and she said Molly would love that and Molly has always been a servant she's always cared about people she's always reached out so anyway she said I said well would you mind if I call her and she said no and so anyway, uh, Nance went home at 3. She would go home for their, their little girl, and I worked till 5. I hadn't even gotten in the door, and Molly was on the phone. Nancy had gone in the house and said, 
Mary Lou's church needs help, and, and uh, anyway, I'll let you take that, because she thought it was a little weird. Um, well, I was told that this church needed help setting up stuff, and I figured at that point I wasn't really allowed to go out and do anything else, um, so I can't really get that much in trouble at a church, um, so I decided, why not? Sure, I'll go and do this, and it was really fun, and the first, well, that was a Saturday, and then on Sunday, you invited me to come, and I was like, oh, yeah, sure, and then I didn't show up, <laughs> um, but the next Sunday, I was there. So Molly did come, and she helped, and within about two weeks, Molly said, I have this friend, Zach, and I think he'd love to come to church. So at the time, this is where she cries. So at the time, we picked up Molly, and we picked up Zach, and we came to church. And pretty soon, Zach's saying, my mommy would love this church. And here's a 20-year-old man. He's mommy. He just has this heart for his mother. And uh, so then she started coming to church. And then pretty soon, she brought her friend Elaine. And Dave and I, you know, we're white-haired. All of a sudden, there's this row of white-haired people mm. <laughs> in front of us. And, and so Sharon was bringing people, and Elaine was bringing people. Elaine's daughter is uh, Terry Jones, and Terry's daughter is Madison Jones. So out of, out of the prayer of this small group, Molly came back. Yeah, came back, and Sharon and Elaine and Madison, and Terry, and now this beautiful girl is married to that wonderful young man over there, carrying this great child, and uh, Caleb, that's wonderful. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Thanks, sisters. <laughs> All right, simple prayer. Surprising results. A couple of thoughts. By the way, one thing that's cool is I think Molly was the first person baptized in our facility on that side before this was done. And by God's grace, Terry was baptized, I don't know, a couple years ago. So God answers prayer. A few thoughts, and then uh, service is going along. No Sunday school. God bless you. A <laughs> uh, couple of things. Um, when we're praying, I just want us to catch what, what we saw in the text here is to make sure that our prayers are about God's bigger purposes. When Elijah prays, he doesn't pray, God, do something really fancy here. He says, God, I want you to show up so that you can win hearts back to yourself. Yes, it was about honoring God in the face of idolatry, but even in that, it was so that people would be changed. Families changed. A country changed. Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2 provide a good model for us when we pray. Psalm 67, verse 1 and 2 say this. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us, verse 2, so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. So it's okay and encourage. Pray for God's blessing and mercy on you, but not for it to stop with you. God bless us so that they might know. God bless us so that they might believe. God bless us so that others might trust. Pray for God's bigger purpose. Pray for the things on God's heart. There's 
What's on God's heart? The nations. Second, when it comes to prayer, simple things. Use simple tools. I think sometimes we make prayer really complicated. And so some of you have the Lord's Prayer memorized. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's a wonderful template for prayer. Just use the Lord's Prayer and, and, and riff, if you're a jazz, you know, like, our Father who art in heaven. And then just spend 30 seconds, 30 minutes, just glorifying the God who is in heaven. And then when you get to pray for your daily bread, riff some more about all of your daily needs, right? Um, some of you don't have that memorized, so I just want to teach you one that many of you already know. Simple tool for prayer. It's called the Acts Prayer. Those of you who know this, let me encourage you. I've been doing the Acts Prayer. You can see my journal. A-C-T-S, A-C. I've been doing this the last 30 days or so. It's been so good for my soul to go back to basics for prayer. And so I pray this. I fill in my journal this morning. Under A, to adore God this morning, I praise God that he grants me joy. I, I praise God this morning for some reason. God, I adore you that you do not require blood sacrifice, that Christ has paid it all. That's what I wrote this morning. Under confession yesterday, or this morning, I wrote about uh, some anger and frustration that's been welling up in my soul. I've been wanting to fight. And I confess I've been wanting to eat. I've been kind of comfort eating. So I encourage you when you go to pray in the morning, adore God for who he is, worship him, and then start confessing your sins. I'd encourage you to at this time that if there's someone who has a wrong against you, forgive them. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Then move to thanksgiving. I practice the simple task if I try to make sure I have five things I'm saying thankful for every morning. Uh, I, wrote, I, I had good physical rest yesterday. I had fun playing games with my kids. My vehicles have been running. I praise God. I thanked him for forgiveness and salvation. And I thanked him this morning. I don't know why. That I live in this country. I don't usually pray that, but I did today. And then I wrote under supplication. This is where you're asking God to supply your needs. This is the bucket list. What is all the stuff that you're asking God to do? I listed a family member I want to trust Jesus. I asked for unction in preaching today. That's when the Holy Spirit shows up and hopefully changes you guys. I prayed for God to save my kids. I prayed for another person in our church and their family. I pray that God would show us his salvation. I just encourage you, keep things simple. This is a great tool. I don't know who came up with it, but I'm thankful for whoever it was. And here's my last thing. So uh, make sure your prayers are about God's bigger purposes. Two, use simple tools. And then third, pray in 2019, pray often with others. Very simple. Prayer is powerful when you do it with others. It's powerful when you do it by yourself. There's something powerful when you do it with others. So first of all, I want to reiterate, particularly to members, but anybody here, members, Sunday nights in January at 6.30, we're going to pray every Sunday night and pray that God is merciful to our church in this city in the coming year. Please come. Please pray. But treasure it in your small groups. Treasure it in your home. If, you're, if, if they've never done this, I encourage you, married people, pray every day together. I don't care how awkward it is. For the, if you haven't done it, pray together. It is awkward. And then after a while, it becomes routine. But pray together, couples. Pray with your kids. Simple prayers, surprising results. As we move to communion, just want you to know that uh, some people in our church have been getting back to praying for these lists of people. We're calling it a blessed list. And the, the blessed is another acrostic we'll teach another time. But the B is begin with prayer, beginning to pray that other people would trust Jesus. What I love about this is some people in this group have been wanting to minister to their neighbors and they weren't having many doors open. Then they started putting these people on their blessed list. And lo and behold, opportunities for ministering to neighbors show up. 
right? Simple prayer, surprising results. I want to take it to supper today, remembering this, right? What we're remembering today is that the Lord Jesus was the sacrifice for the people, substituted for the people to win the hearts of the people. So my encouragement to us as we take the Lord's Supper today, meditate on what Christ has done and let him win your heart again. Let him win your heart again to go deeper and deeper into God's love. Let me pray and we'll take the meal together. Father, thank you for the chance to hear about your greatness and your goodness through the testimonies of um, Sandy and Molly and Mary Lou. Thank you for the scripture, the historical story of Elijah standing in the face of um, many enemies and God proving once again that you are faithful to your people, that you answer simple prayers in surprising ways. And so, Lord, as we come to the table, Lord, help us to treasure you. Help us to love you. Amen.